I come from a, a medical family. I'm like the black sheep. Everybody, I mean, it seems like everybody is a doctor in my family. My dad's a doctor. My twin brother is a doctor. My wife's a doctor. My brother-in-law is a doctor. Whenever we have like a family meeting, it feels like a little AMA breakout session. <laughs> but I've been through all this, and one of the things that, that I've learned along the way is uh, a little bit about how doctors get trained, and the doctors in the room will know, will know this for sure, but there's... There's doctors who are great at the books, and then there's doctors who are great clinicians. And on the clinician side, it's all about seeing what they do and learning it by doing, right? And the best example of that are the people who give great models, great people that can teach and show people how to do it. And the saying amongst um, the, the, at least the residents who are in training is that you, you see one, you do one, you teach one. That's kind of how it goes. And so you're, it's all about having good models. And I want to suggest today, as we continue on in this thing, where we're talking about learning to love at the deepest of levels, that it's the same way. Because we talked about this last week, but love is an action thing. It's a do thing. And if we want to do this well, we want to look at a really good model. And of course, the best model is to look at Jesus, how he loved, what he was about this way. And so that's what we're doing today. We want to look at Jesus as a model. We want to look at Jesus and how he loved. And as we do that, um, there are kind of two things to this that will go side by side the whole way through this sermon. We're looking at how Jesus loved us, and then we're hearing along with that his command, which we heard in our gospel, this new command I give you, that we're to love the way he loved. So we're learning about, we're, we're focusing and meditating on how he loved us at the same time with an awareness that that's meant to be how we love others. So we're kind of going in, in that place. And I think the begin, very beginning place that I would start any of this is to just talk for a minute about um, the place of acceptance, because I think Christians should be the most accepting people on the entire planet. And when we start talking about that, I think the, the stakes are high in, the sense, in this sense that we, it's been said again and again that like the biggest hurt in life is rejection, whether it's as a child when you're not picked to be on the team, you know, kind of thing, or you're the last group that gets picked or whether it's rejection that we get in a broken relationship along the way. I think everybody more or less goes through that at some point or somehow. Or whether it's even at some point maybe um, our parents or a memory of our parents and never measuring up to what they wanted, some small sense of rejection in that department. There's, there's, it, it's a big deal. And it's been said that all of life, most people will live their lives either pursuing, trying to avoid rejection or trying to figure out how they can be accepted, the other side of the coin, how to be accepted. And so the things we do, the clothes we wear, trying to figure out whether we're fashionable or not, all these different kinds of things, all about trying to figure out if we're going to be accepted. And we will go to great lengths to be accepted. And I think you see this more when you're younger in different kinds of ways. I remember the summer of my, um, when I was in third grade, that summer, after we finished third grade, uh, my twin brother and I, my identical twin, Stuart, and I, we had this good friend named Doug. And Doug was cool. We liked hanging out with Doug. And Doug had this idea. He's like, you know what we ought to do this summer? It's going to be hot. This is in South Texas. We ought to all go in and get buzz cuts. We'll be cool. Everybody know we're together. We're, we're buds. And this guy's dad was a surgeon who worked with my dad. And um, he had his own buzz cut kit. <laughs> so we're all like, yeah, we're in. We're in. We're in. And so he calls my dad and gets clearance and all this. And so Doug sits down in the chair in the garage, and, they, and, and his dad gets the, you don't have to be talented, gets the thing out and just buzzes him down. 
And he looked kind of tough. He looked like a little mini, mini me Marine as he got up. And I was like, okay, I'm, mm. My twin brother is next. He gets in the chair and man, the guy goes to town, buzzes all his hair off. And um, it's like, great, they got solidarity going. But I got to confess this, this is a different sermon, but I looked at my twin brother and said, yeah, I want half of that. <laughs> I've been trying to make up, letting my brother know I got his back ever since, but uh, I only got half the cut and he wore a hat all summer. But, um, but we'll go to great lengths, we'll go to great lengths to be in that accepted crew. And I think there's a myth out there that if we, if we got everything right, if we did everything perfectly, perfect job, perfect this, perfect, perfect everything, that we'll be fully accepted. And of course, Christians are pretty quick to say, yeah, the only person we know who's ever been perfect did not get accepted. And look at his last day of life, and you'll see the layers of rejection leading, I mean, ultimately his death. So that, that's a one big myth. But the beginning place to talking about how we love like Christ loved is to get this, that he was all about acceptance, that he called people and accepted them and welcomed them. And, and we learn that in lots of different ways. I want to read one passage of scripture. Um, this is from John 6. It says, the Father, this is Jesus talking, the Father gives me my people. Every one of them will come to me and I will always accept them. This idea that Jesus is about radical acceptance. And, and part of the struggle we have is you can grow up in the church and never really get a hold of this all the way. And I think part of it is because Part of our, our, our Catholicity, we, we dwell a little bit much on guilt. Or maybe, if you're like me, you've got at least one parent that's never pleasable all the way. And we carry this into our faith. And, I mean, one of the gifts of being a priest is I get to hear confessions. And, you know, I try to forget most of it. But you hear things where people are like, yeah, I did that in my t- young 20s when we all make dumb mistakes. And... They're like still carrying it, thinking, well, God's punishing me today for what I did back then and all this. And God's not like that. That's all way back there. He wants to accept you and love you and move on. But we have this thing where we want to hold on to the guilt. And I I used to work with this uh, fabulous pastor in London who used to always say, here's how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit will convict you but not condemn you about what you're doing wrong. Because he wants to improve you but not make you feel lower than a snake. But we oftentimes get locked in that guilt thing. And that is not what Jesus is about. Jesus is about, I love you, period. Unconditional love and acceptance. And it's all, it's all of that. It's just, that's it, full stop, period. He loves you that way unconditionally. And we think about this as a, a passage Paul writes, um, Titus 3.7. He says, Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. He made us acceptable. He made us acceptable to God and gave us the hope of eternal life. He made us acceptable. It's not that we've earned it. It's not that we suddenly got everything lined up right. This thing is all about grace. It's not what we deserve. It's all about grace. And the challenge for us, I think, if we're we're learning from this model and from this master, we want to learn to love people in the world that way, with just this... Um, innate sense of God loves you and I'm going to love you and I'm going to accept you. And I think where we get hung up a lot is the difference between acceptance and approval. And I wonder a little bit more now as we go into this age of heightened political correctness where there seems to be no grace, if it's maybe even more that way. 
that there's a difference between being accepted and being approved. And when I think about that, I always think about this, the woman in uh, John 8 that's caught in adultery. If you remember how this passage goes, um, there's probably a whole other sermon about why they don't bring the guy out, but they bring the woman out. And they bring her to Jesus, and they say, we caught her in the act. Um, what are we going to do? And they're, and they're sort of trying to trap Jesus or do, do things with Jesus. And Jesus is all about her dignity. Like, he's not going to let this woman just go down. Like, he is all about taking care of her. And he very wisely, in what he says, says to, her, okay, well, our, to them, he says, all right, well, whoever is sinless, go ahead and throw the first one. And they're all sitting around the rocks, and slowly they, one by one, set them down, and they, and they walk off. And that's the way it is with us, too, right? When we come to Jesus in a new way, Jesus is never going to come to you and say, I told you so, and, and just ride you about it. He's going to embrace you and welcome you like the prodigal son story. He's going to embrace you and love you that way. Now, the rest of the story with the woman caught, when Jesus is in private with her, Right, the final scene, he says, I don't condemn you either. Go on, but don't sin anymore. It's not that he ever said the sin didn't matter or, or that there's not, I want you to flourish and that's not the way to flourish. But he's all about her dignity. He's all about loving her, accepting her, and then going on that way. And we don't need to ride people with guilt. We don't need to ride ourselves with guilt. I mean, I know I don't measure up to my own standards. I, don't, I certainly don't measure up to God's. But that's not where things end, right? Because God wants us to have this radical acceptance and embrace the way, he, the way he does for other people. That's what he calls us to. And right along with it, I think not only do we think about his, his acceptance that way, but Scripture talks about how he chose to accept us. And I think, you know, when we start talking about what gives you your sense of worth or your sense of esteem and all this other stuff, to me, this goes, all these things we're talking about in this series we're not going into micromanaging all these bits about relationships, about how to have a better communication with your partner or with your children and all this. We're talking about stuff that goes to the core. Love is the imperative last week. Today we're talking about how you take love to a bigger level. It's one that affects every single relationship, and it affects how you live and how you think of yourself and all these different things. But I think when we, we think about being accepted, we also think about how God chose to accept you, right, and what that does for you. I remember when I was in high school, when I was a sophomore, I was good friends with this, uh, this girl. Her name was Veronica. She was a junior. And we, we got to be friends through a number of different organizations. And right when the, the, the junior prom tickets went on sale, she, she asked me to the junior prom. I was a sophomore. You should have seen me, guys. I, mean, I'm, I, said, I went from being sort of this guy with my backpack to this, walking, walking through the place. You know, I'd be, she'd asked me. She was a cheerleader to boot. <laughs> and I think we, we think about this for a minute. God chose you, right? I mean, I mean, just hold on to this for a minute. God created you. God loves you. God accepts you. God dies for you. God gives you his Holy Spirit. God wants to be with you forever. I mean, this is the kind of stuff where you, you want to say God likes you. I mean, this is, this is a quote from Rick Warren that I like. He, he says this many, many times. He likes to say... Um, God likes me, and so I like myself, and if you don't like me, you have a problem. <laughs> but this idea that our, our core confidence comes from this deep acceptance that God has for us, and, and to go on, 
there are lots of people who have said this along the way. I mean, I quote this often, but Bernard of Clairvaux in medieval times had these four laws of love that were like this. And um, I think they're great because they go right to this place. He says on the four laws of love, he says that we're born loving ourselves because we sort of have this inbuilt narcissistic thing. That we, that's how we start out. And then we're like, I love myself and I want stuff. So then we start asking God to help us get stuff. That's the second love. We lo- and, and then the third love, we get to where we love God because we've learned who he is, not just because what he can do for us. And then he says, if you push through all that, you actually come back to where you love yourself because God loves you. It takes you to a different place where you're, you're loving yourself because you know how much God loves you and how you're valued by God and all of this. At the end of the day, it brings us all back to how God loves and accepts and if we're going to live out that kind of love in the world, we're meant to be the same way. We're, going to, we're called to be a people who love and, and who accept. And I think about this. This is from Romans 15. He says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. That we're meant to be about this radical inclusion, about this radical kind of love. And um, we're going to say a prayer in a few minutes about it being MLK weekend and stuff. But I, I always think about this when it comes to thinking on racial terms, that we're meant to love everyone. God has the same value, the same love for everyone. We're called to love and accept everyone. And, and shame on us if we don't. And we have to continue to confront whatever is our obstacles in the way for us doing that. Right? And, and we know this. Right? We, we, we lean into this. And part of the question we have then is, how do we do this? And there, there's lots and lots and lots of sermons that we could give on this. Um, and, but let me just mention one, I mean, just a couple things. I think one of the things that we do is we, we look at people and see them. I mean, like see them, right? Listen to them. I, I mentioned this a few uh, months ago that I read an a, a, a interview recently with Brene Brown, the famous psychologist writer out of Houston. She said that one of the things her mom taught her as a, as a kid was don't look away from people who are suffering because you make, them, you make them feel more lonely. But this idea that you're not just looking away from the hard things, but you're looking at people and seeing that there's, there's somebody there. There's somebody God loves and accepts right there in front of you. And I think that that's part of how we reach out in the world in love. Whether it is the person giving you your laundry at the cleaners, giving your clean clothes back, or the waiter, or whoever it is, anybody top to bottom, you look at them, and they're people, they're souls that God loves. And so you see them, and you hear them. And we try to do that. I mean, we want to be about that kind of radical inclusion here in the church. We show up. All of us are in different places. We don't care. We acknowledge and accept. You come here with doubts. We all do. We all have some doubts. We all have some questions. I'm not sure how that Trinity thing works. I'm not sure if I really believe in evil. Whatever your questions are, we say, great, you're in the right church. We're glad you're here. That's part of loving and accepting and being a community that's going to walk together. And um, there are only sort of two bits I'm doing on the sermon. I'm going to go to the next bit in a second. But I'm going to throw out two bits of homework in the sermon today, one of which is to stop for a minute and think about this radical acceptance. And I'm wondering who in your life needs that this week. Like, think of one person. I'm not talking about your family. That's a given. You ought to be working on that. <laughs> like, who at work is that person that nobody likes? Nobody wants to hang with. That's irritable. Nobody wants to go to lunch with. 
all of that. Every place has one. If you can't think of who that is, it's probably you. No. <laughs> no. But think of that one person. And really, try to, try to go out of your way to help them feel some love. You know, the thing is, the people who act most unlovingly are oftentimes the people who are unloved. And part of the call of Christians to love and practice grace in the world is to, is to go into that and give somebody who's unlovable love. That's an act of grace. And I think we want to talk about this command, love as I've loved, is calling us to go right into that. And we're human. We're not Jesus. We're not going to do it like him. But we can take steps that way. Figure out that one person. Pray for them. If that's all you can do, just pray for them. But if you can, do some act. Go to lunch with them. It'll be okay. God will give you strength in it, right? That's the first thing, right? So if we're going to love like Jesus loved, we're going to try to accept people like he accepted. And the, the second thing um, that I want to go to, and this will really be the, the final thing I'll say, is, is to stop and begin to think about how it goes right along with it. It's a corollary about how God values all the people in your life. This will help you love and accept them. But stop to think about how God values them. And thinking about your, yourself, right? That God created you, died for you, gave His Holy Spirit to you, down into you in baptism, and that He wants to be with you forever. We read in Luke 8 about how God knows even the sparrows that fall to the ground. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every detail about you and loves you that way. I mean, he, and, he, and He loves you fully. And when you start thinking about what makes something valuable... One of the things that sometimes people would answer is who made it? Like particularly we start thinking about art and there's a sense in which we humans are art. It's who made you, right? I saw something in the Wall Street Journal in the last couple of weeks about Andy Warhol. Apparently Andy Warhol made one movie. And if you saw this article, some of you in the room, it's an eight-hour film <laughs> that shows one scene with no dialogue. And people still watch it. They show it like twice a year in New York City. And the people in the article are talking about the things they do to prepare themselves to sit there for eight hours watching this. It's about who made it or a Picasso or whatever else that gives it incredible value. Or um, we've got this art self going on with our party coming up on February 1st. It's our parishioners who made it, right? You know, it's about who made it. And we're made by God. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship created for good works in Christ. And that word workmanship is really masterpiece. We are his masterpiece created for good works in Christ. So on a bad day, you think, I'm God's masterpiece. And that alone gives you the sense of, of value and, and worth about who you are. And the second thing is, if, you, if you've ever been to business school or had whatever, and you're talking about what's a company worth, like you, they give you all these different techniques about you know, this and that, how you do it. But at the end of the day, a company's worth what somebody will pay for it right? That's at the end of the day what it's worth. Whatever it is, it's what somebody will pay for it. And it's a little different here. We're not talking about a market. But you stop and think about what Jesus paid for you. This business about, and you've heard it, and I think sometimes we turn off our ears because it sounds trite, like a evangelical preacher guy saying it, but that God gave everything for you. He went to the cross for you. And I've, I still believe this day that if you're not feeling loved, it may, it may, be macabre a little bit, but I think looking, staring on a crucifix and thinking about Jesus being there for you is the greatest way to understand God's love for you. And to this day, 
when I have a, a loved one who's on, on a deathbed, I love to give them a holding cross that they can hold in their hands all the way to the end because they can hold it knowing how much they're loved. Because I don't think there's any greater love than the cross. And um, we see that said in a number of different places in Scripture. First Peter says he, he paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. This idea he'll go all the way for you. That's the kind of love we're meant to try, the kind of value we're expected to try to love other people with. And again, I think it brings us back to the same place of looking at people, hearing people, seeing the dignity of people. Because every single one of them is somebody that God loves that way. And we look at, look at them and we love them. One of my favorite stories in Scripture is um, the one that's called The Rich Young Ruler. It's how it's titled in a lot of Bibles. I'm going to call him the cocky entrepreneur. <laughs> but he's the guy who eventually walks down the road. And he thinks he's all self-made and everything. And he walks up to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to be saved? And he kind of already is a straw man. He just wants to enjoy the moment. And Jesus says, well, keep all the commandments. He says, yeah, I've always done that. That's no big deal. And then, Jesus, and then I don't know if you've ever noticed it because it's easy to gloss over. There's this one line. I love this line. love this line. It says, Jesus looked at him with love and said, you've got one thing more. Go and sell everything you have and come and follow me. Like he's going, Jesus is doing surgery at this moment. He's going right into the problem and the issue. And he's doing it, scripture tells us, because he loves him. He looks at him with love and tells him that. And I think that's the way it is. We look at people with love. And, it, and it's easy to do. Yesterday, I was heading to North Park. My, I don't know if y'all have ever had this. My phone completely died, 100%. No charge. No, so I'm going to the Apple store, and it was a logic board problem. I got a new one. But I'm sitting in the line waiting to get into North Park, and there's one of these guys who's got the cardboard sign begging. And I sat there. I was still turning some of this in my head, this sermon. And I was thinking how hard it was to look at the guy. Because I'm like, I don't want to make eye contact with him. He's going to come to my door and beg, you know, whatever else. And, you know, the, again, the thing about being a priest is we hear all the homeless people come to the church. And after you've heard the 10th time, the guy saying, I just need gas money because I'm trying to see my mom in Denton because she's dying kind of thing. And you've heard it for the 10th time. You're like, are you all reading a book? I mean, where is this coming from? And it's easy to get where you, don't, you won't look at him. And you're, you're like, you're just a scammer. And I had this moment where I started to get a little calloused. And there was a moment where I was like, you know, the guy's trying to scam me, but God still loves him, accepts him, and values him. And I'm going to look him in the eye and, and say, I can't do this because I'm called to be a good steward of these funds or whatever, but I'm going to pray with you and you're a human and I want to hear what's going on, whatever else. But this idea that we're not going to look, I mean, this is an exaggerated moment, but this idea that we're not going to look somebody in the eye, we're, we're going to pretend they're not human or we're going to avoid the situation. And we can do this at large levels, right? We can forget people in the world that are hurting. We can forget people who are in a different socioeconomic strata or whatever. We're, God loves everyone the same. It doesn't matter who they are. And we can't forget that, right? Well, the, the final thing um, on this sermon, I'm not going to, this is just a head note because we're going to do a whole sermon on it. But if I was talking about how we love like Jesus loves, the third thing that would be on this list is we've got to forgive the way Jesus forgives, or at least in our humanity, try to do it. And we're going to do a whole sermon down the road on that topic. So I'm going to bypass that. And I'm going to end with a story that comes from a really, really famous preacher. Um, like, you may never heard of him, but anybody who's been to seminary who's taking a preaching class has heard of this guy. Uh, this guy named Fred Craddock. 
And a number of years ago, Fred Craddock um, told the story in one of his sermons, and later he put it into a book. But he told the story about a preacher who was um, on vacation, and he traveled with his wife. They were traveling through Tennessee, and they were eating breakfast one day in this cafe. And they saw this little sort of frail, white-haired guy play in the room. He's going around table to table having conversations with people. And he comes to this, and they see him come, and they're like, oh, what's this going to be? The guy comes to the table, and he says, you know, hey, how are you all doing? Meets him, and he says, you know, where are you, where are you from? And they say, well, we're from so-and-so, and we're on vacation. Oh, welcome to Tennessee. It's a great state, all this stuff to do. And he says, what do you do back home? The guy says, well, I'm a preacher. And the white-haired man stops and kind of and says, I want to tell you an important preacher story. And he tells him, he says, I was born an illegitimate child never, and didn't know my dad growing up in my early years. And he said, I got harassed for it. He said, the kids used to tease me and say, who's your dad? And other people used to taunt me about who's your dad. And he said, then there, when I was in my early teens, there was a day when, when this new preacher came to town. And after he arrived, everybody had this buzz about the new, pe- new preacher in town. And so I snuck into the church late and listened to him. And then I would leave early so nobody could talk to me or whatever else. And he said I, he did this for three months. And he said there was one day when the preacher suddenly just ended the sermon. He didn't have any idea that it was a conclusion and it was over. And he got caught in the crowd. And he said he turned around to try to head to the door. And he felt this hand on his shoulder. And he looked back and it was the preacher. And the preacher said to him, I've seen you in here for the last number of weeks you're always alone. Who's your family? Who's your dad? And he said all the people around him were kind of listening like this. And he said the preacher looked at him and could see how awkward he looked. And he said to him at that moment, oh, I know. I know who your family is. You're a child of God. And sent him on his way. And the guy said, I've, I've never, was never the same since. That was that was." an inflection point in my life that changed everything. And he went on his way. And then I don't know whether these stories are, they're true to life, whether they're true or not, what Fred Craddock tells. But he says, the next part of this was the waitress came back to the table and said, do you know who that was? And that was Ben Hooper, the two-time governor of Tennessee. And uh, I was curious enough just to see a little bit. He was the two-time governor of Tennessee, and he was illegitimate. I don't know about the rest of it, but I know this. Whether that story is all the way true or not, I know that's exactly the kind of love and acceptance and value that Jesus would have. I know that much. It matters.